So Greg, Jerry, if ask me a question. You know, uh, favorite word. Mississippi. <laughs> Hi. Welcome to the 12th Annual City Lit Festival. My name is Greg Wilhelm. I'm the Executive Director of City Lit Project. My friend Joe Vimina, poet extraordinaire, punk rocker. If you go to his website, the first three words you see are poet, professor, and punk rocker. Um, and I, we're here to, this is going to be a relatively short program, but something that we're very, very, very excited about. The debut of Clash by Night, which is a poetry anthology inspired by the Clash's London Calling album. Um, it's uh, a collection of uh, poetry by 40 poets from across the country. Um, and it, the, the uh, table of contents literally follows the track list of uh, what we believe is a seminal album in the um, uh, pantheon of rock and roll. How this project came together, this is published, by the way, by City Lit Press, which is the uh, imprint of City Lit Project. Um, and this you should support City Lit Press. Should, yes, buy the book. Buy the book. The book will be for sale immediately following this, um, this uh, entertainment, the entertainment portion of the uh, afternoon. Um, and this is literally brand new. This is hot off the press, as they say. Um, it publishes officially today, May 2nd. Uh, and what's cool about it is that there are uh, these poem, uh, poets, poets form these clusters around the country. So there will be readings from this book around the country over the course of the next several months. Um, you can help spread the word about uh, a reading at a time of books uh, on June 6th here in Baltimore. But um, Jerry and I are um, uh, going to talk a little bit about the origin of the project. And, and the future of the project. And the future of the project. And... Um, and then Jerry, because he is the uh, the official poet, he'll read some of his work. Um, I'm going to read some of the work of other people. Go ahead. Okay, it's fine. Um, like many uh, half-baked ideas, um, this one was uh, hatched at a bar. Hatched at a bar. Um, I think it was a bar in Ruby too today, actually. Was it? Yeah. Uh, don't, don't say that. Um, yeah, uh, it was after like a, it was after some event over. There. And uh, actually, I'm going to read a little bit of my, my essay that just sort of describes the project, but since we're talking about the bar part, <laughs> um, I'm happy to develop any other projects at bar after City Lit Festival tonight. Just let me know. Yeah. My second paragraph begins, I wish I could add some apocryphal drama to the moment, like we met in a pub called the Brixton on December 22nd, which was the, uh, the death anniversary of Joe Strummer. At the bar sat a guy who looked a lot like John Doe from the band X. But that would all be bullshit. We drank local beer and ate chicken wraps, I think. And it was at a Ruby Tuesdays. Oh, jeez. That's not punk that's not rock. Um, so basically, we were just shooting the breeze, and uh, Jerry had the idea of, you know, if there was an album that you could cover in poetry, what would it be? And I think we simultaneously said Love and Calling. Um, it, uh, the album, I, I think, has, has a different role in both of our lives, um, but it was definitely one that we went back to immediately. And um, that was over two and a half years ago. Uh, life and semesters and students and families and kids all getting in the way. But um, it, was, it was that nugget of an idea that we both believed in, we both 
knew had traction. Um, and uh, I guess about a year ago, with Jerry's urging, I kind of picked myself up by my bootstraps and started, because what had happened is that all the poems had been submitted, so it was time to make this. Yeah, I, I mean, and then of course we had to do things like we wanted the, we wanted the, we wanted, when we first conceived this, we thought it would be great not to do just one, but to do a series of books. Do a series of books that, that would each look like an album. And so, so the other thing is that while we were simultaneously putting this together, we were also conceiving what would we do to get a series of this in which we didn't always have to do the heavy lifting. Um, editing an anthology, this is the fifth anthology I've been a part of, is a ton of work. And it's never pleasant. Uh, in fact, somebody, some, uh, a, a, a person, a, a poet whom I'm not going to name, posted on George Guida's uh, Facebook page. What, well, I'll say this, the poets who are in this have been amazing about getting the word out that the book is out. They've been extraordinarily pleased. And uh, somebody, somebody said, the crime is that I'm not included in the anthology. To which I said, well, you don't get included if you don't send work. Um, but the idea that, that, you know, we often have to reject people. And, uh, you know, it's not personal. One of the problems that we had is that a lot of people wanted to cover, you know, there were certain songs that everybody wanted to cover. And we had to come up with the concept of what does it mean to cover a song? That was the first thing. How does a poet cover a song? But. Uh, we had two poems that worked with Spanish bombs, including significant lyrics woven through the song. And we sort of felt like we could have two poems for the same song working the same way, and we had to pick the better of the two. Um, the other thing is that once all was said and done, there were two songs that nobody covered. So then we had to sort of go to poets and sort of say, will you cover Lover's Rock? Um, what was the other one? It wasn't wrong of Boyo, it was something else. Oh, Four Horsemen, Four Horsemen. Will you cover Four Horsemen? And, uh, you know, a lot of people try. It's not easy. Like, like, what does it mean to cover songs? What does it mean to engage a song differently? The other thing is that what we wanted was, we wanted liner notes. So we allowed people to also write poems that engage the record or engage the band that did not necessarily engage a particular song, and those function as liner notes. Um, so, but while we were getting the poems submitted, we were also getting a lot of people to sort of say, what about this record? What about that record? And it was like, you know, what about like the first Fugazi EP? Or, um, you know, what about, and there were a lot of, like, what about a replacements record? I'm all for a replacements record, but it can't follow up this, because somebody will say, oh, it's only a sort of college radio sort of sensibility. And finally, somebody said, what about pet sounds? Um, I am not, as it turns out, a Beach Boys fan, even though I referenced them earlier. Um, but I have agreed to co-edit what we're going to call Poet Sounds. Um, and I immediately, if you know the cover of Pet Sounds, by the way, it's the Beach Boys with like baby goats and stuff teething them. So I immediately want to get a picture of like five or six poets at a farm with like goats, and I'm trying to read them poems. I think that would be great, like with books, like this. Um, <laughs> oh, uh, we have to be in the, the books. You have to send a, a pet sound. But, and you know, I know we're going to get like 80 Wouldn't It Be Nice poems. Um, and then like like some of the lesser tracks, we're not going to get any. So, so if you really want to be in these anthologies, by the way, picking like a deep track uh, <laughs> is the way to go.
And, and, and the, uh, like, the other thing is, like, we, so now I started, like, then somebody was like, well, Exile, of course, would be the per would be a record that would be, if double albums work really well. Um, Exile would be great. Um, you know, Revolver or Rubber Soul would be great. And finally, I had to say to somebody, you know what, we need some women. Uh, and I think, actually, I think uh, Rumors, Fleetwood Mac Rumors would be a great record for a cover. Uh, also, Parallel Lines by Blondie would be a great record to cover. Um, also, I would love to see somebody propose a cover of Fear of a Black Planet, or, uh, you know, I think that would be, that would be a terrific one. Uh, so, uh, I think the, 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 the possibilities for this are limitless, but if you expect, if, if people keep expecting Greg and I are going to keep co-editing these anthologies, it was a lot of work. Um, and, uh, you know, on the other hand, I have to say this, um, Mick Jones and Paul Simonon of The Clash are holding it. I have their copies of this book, and uh, they saw the galley pages and a lawsuit, and we haven't gotten a cease and desist order. I'm a little little scarier about the Beach Boys anthology, <laughs> which yeah. any of the five Beach Boy bands could and if you haven't figured it out, um, uh, that is our uh, heavily muscled uh, fellow co-editor on the cover. Um, uh, so thank you for lending your it took literally three different photo shoots to get of, of me trying to do the Paul Simonon pose with a bass with a book, which is actually um, uh, Plato's Republic edited by Bloom, uh, just in case you were wondering what book that is. Um, I just we needed a big, thick book, and because uh, we tried various versions with slimmer books and it didn't work. Uh, and, and like the phone book actually looks like the phone book, so it couldn't be that. Um, so um, yeah, and it took it took multiple, multiple, multiple. And I hate having my picture taken, so it was kind of like. And Greg would be like, "Have you do you have the cover photo yet?" And I'd be like, <laughs> "It's a pretty important part of the process." Yeah, and the goal is to have these books actually look like the albums. I mean, that's right. like a really important part to it all. Um, I'm going to read a small part of my essay in the back of the book that puts everything in a little bit of context, um, and then uh, Jerry will read um, uh, some of his contributions to the anthology itself. Uh, London Calling came out in 1979. It was a pretty audacious album. It was a double album, which in itself was, was, was pretty uh, ballsy for them to do. Um, I probably encountered it in 81 or 82. And then I um, did my semester abroad uh, in my junior year, 1988, in London. I put down the bass and walked away from any hopes of being a musician at age 17. So I had far fewer rock and roll stories than Jerry, who still shreds it and belts it out today. But my one story is killer. Junior year abroad, living in Hornsey and working in the city, much more enthralled with English punk rock than my British flatmates, but there was Steve, a slightly older peer in the marketing department at British Telecom International, Brixton born, spliffs for lunch, not a fucking tooth in his head. One night he took me to the town and country. The Pogues were playing. I was immaturely, overly excited about it. Not any, any random night, actually, March friggin' 17th, St. Patrick's Day in London with the goddamn Pogues. It was their If I Shall Fall From the Grace of God tour, and at age 21, I was falling hard. Shane McGowan collapsed and slurred through the first half of the set. Disappointing, really. Then it happened. 
Eight songs in, there's unmistakable chord strikes in tandem with drum beats, followed by the bass roll. Wait, this wasn't a Vogue song. Steve and I looked aghast at one another. He was the sort of bloke who used words like aghast. And even he started acting like a fanboy. On stage appeared Joe Strummer. The band tore apart London Calling and opened a rift in the city itself. Irish and English under Thatcher's thumb, screaming together in kinetic unison. All these years later, I could still feel it vibrating beneath the surface of my skin. Yes, I was there too. I, uh, I have to say that one of the um, key uh, moments of my musical life was seeing The Clash open for the Who at Shea Stadium uh, as, a, as a almost 14 year old. And it was, it, was the, it was the second concert that I had wanted to go to um, that, that I actually went to. I was dragged to a lot of like Grateful Dead concerts. My first concert was actually Frank Zappa on Halloween at the Felt Forum. I was eight years old. Um, it was like the craziest thing I ever experienced. Um, I don't remember any of it um, other than being like, you know, what, like, what the fudge, because I was eight and I wouldn't have said fuck. Um, but, uh, but yeah, the, 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 the first two concerts was David Bowie on the Scary Monsters tour and then The Clash and The Who. Uh, I think it was sort of like, okay, you know what your trajectory is going to be. Um, I'm going to read a little bit from my essay in the back, and I'm going to read a couple poems, uh, mine and other people's. Um, I've been listening to this record for some 30 plus years. The song that has become the most meaningful to me is Lost in the Supermarket, the longing for a childhood that never was. What we call nostalgia, the poet Gerald Stern wrote, is for the life we didn't live. Once in a bar in Grayling, Michigan, population 1100, I put a bunch of money in the touch tunes machine. Do you guys know what a touch tunes machine is? It is a jukebox that is like connected to like every song ever made. It is, it is amazing and um, if, if you're really obnoxious, you put like $30 in and you just own it for the night, um, which is what I would do. Um, when the familiar opening of The Clash's London Calling marched into the room, it was amazing to watch how everybody got a little quieter, how many people began to nod their head in time at the music. There was a reverence for the song. I started writing poems for girls I was too scared to ask out. I started writing lyrics for a punk band at the same time. I wanted to be in The Clash. Therefore, I've been writing poems and listening to London Calling since I was about 12. Both poetry and London Calling opened up so much possibility for me. The amazing thing is, as Greg and I have worked on this project, is how many people feel similarly. So did the guys in my previous band, the name of which, The Furious Hours, got its name from the clampdown. Let fury have the hour, anger can be power. So can music. So can poetry. How many late night subways did I call the train in vain? So, um, I'm going to read uh, a couple poems from this. Um, 
First, I'm going to do Sonnet for Strummer, which is by the poet uh, Michael Waters, and this is actually, uh, obviously Clash by Night both gets its name from the band, but also from the Matthew Arnold poem, Dover Beach, which ends where ignorant armies clash by night. Sonnet for Strummer. One less spiked art school burnout on the dole. You let your name bestow occupation, then thrash the racism of Thatcher's nation. Spunk and outrage, trebling rock and roll that jabbed island reggae with safety pins, pricked politics with a fat spliff of soul. Patois and curses, vinegar and piss, all her former colonies have spoken. London's burning, DA no longer exists the King's English or safe European home. One of the, one of the things that neither of us have talked about is dealing with a guy who um, calls himself Chairman Ralph and who would not let us use his real name. Um, yes. Um, this is uh, Lost in the Supermarket by C.L. Bledsoe. My daughter wants everything below two feet high. She points at canned goods she'd never eat at home. Shiny gold cooking oil, processed corn syrup injected with various colors to catch the eye. Finally, she finds cookies on a special display and nearly goes into convulsions. I want to give her everything she wants and nothing. She sees the toys and I nearly lose her. Her preschool classmates are trading the softness of their teddy bears for hard plastic dolls with stylable hair. It makes no sense to me, but most of the clothes I'm wearing were given away as promotional authors or were gifts from in-laws, parents, siblings. I don't understand style over substance because substance is style. I tell her we have treats in the car and ours aren't full of preservatives and she relents, though of course preservatives are much prettier. Outside, I give her a carrot we brought from home, and I feel relief when she munches it happily as we drive to the playground, which she insists on calling a library because they both have slides nowadays. As we leave the store, I wish I could never take her back there for food or anything else. I wish there was somewhere else to go. I want to, I want to read... Uh, George Guida's um, poem, and I want to read it because it's the wrong version of the poem. <laughs> and um, George is an old friend, and we kind of have this um, this thing that, in which, for some reason or other, when we read each other's poems, we do them wrong, um, which I think is important. So, um, which, which one is it? I don't even remember. Spanish bombs, that's what it is. Um, so, uh, I'm doing that thing I hate when people do, which is like looking through the book, but, um, whoops. Spanish bombs. I remember you, Charlotte Davis from Bath. You found me in the disco casino. You stood straight as a fascist on the balcony. You wore a plaid skirt and sweater vest. Your eyes were the color of Welsh grass. Your sentences often started with my name. You held my hand without prepositions. Your writing looped precise as crochet. 
I believe I would marry you someday. I believed even then we'd stay in love. But the first time I heard the song I knew, the British had to keep themselves apart. I would have to be the hero. The strum was the deliberate and warm. The hillsides around our tour bus rang. We adolescents were free at last. The British pop, for now it was, escaped the bus's speakers like crackling of a fire. The comrades sat around to tell the tales of dying on the hill. Yo te quiero infinito. It did not escape me that we all flew in on DC-10s that only copycats could take. So I saw how many times I would betray the cause. As I looked into your eyes, I saw how and all the women I would have to deliver. I saw how a weak-hearted fat boy could hardly hold in a leaner, war-worn skin. I've delivered them all to scorn and certainty that the ways of my fathers were the only ways. I sat with my friends on the balcony. We pretended to savor our cervezas. We undressed you, Charlotte Davis, and rewrote your letters in fake blood. We hurled our empties into the night and raped you on the moonlit Costa del Sol. For decades I would try and fail to liberate the memory of that violence to first faith. I would see it again in the eyes of women I can only call cemetery walls. Love, Charlotte, as you can imagine, died long ago in Malaga, in Bilboa, in Valladolid, in Sevilla, Barcelona, Cartagena, and Gijon. Our Spanish has improved in the Andes, in the barrio, in the gazes of women. But every last one of us boys have run laughing from rubble and flames from bodies on fire, crying out for salvation. The band, too, turned coats and ran. The new decade called us all to forget. They were remembering with precision one last time, Charlotte, the way the dying mind replaced nights on balconies. The leader would die alone on the road. So this is music from another time. This is the music of tombs. I have come back, Charlotte, to see the dead as they are, and hear them sing, to bury them, mi corazón, and let my blood, my reflection, is red now as the sky. Yeah, I'm gonna read one. I'm gonna read the, I'm gonna read a liner notes poem. Um, which is called, After Breakfast, I Consider String Theory. That's the only time I consider string theory, because, you know, in that moment in which I haven't woken enough to realize I don't understand a fucking clue about string theory. Uh, it starts with an epigraph, which is, I live by the river. Or, I live by the river! There we go. It takes place in uh, Morgantown, West Virginia, where I live briefly. Morgantown morning. In the distance, a train whistled from the west shore on the Monaghan-Haley River. Closer to home, Joe Strummer's manic, bird-like, oh, 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 atop Paul Simonon's simple, steady bass, which shakes the window mist. Each day, the prior darkness lasts a bit longer, dawn hesitant as a ninth-grade boy's desire. The kids at the bus stop discussing homework and gossip. What does X equal? Do you hear who has a crush? They await the bright slices of bus headlights carving the mist. 
When London Calling came out, I was their age, and trying to understand the arithmetic of yearning, which I never mastered, though I inevitably learned to seem aloof, to master staring in the distance, as if at a spider web unfurled in the corner, its engineer plump as a thumb in slumber. The web silvery with dew. The bus is a bluebird bus, October yellow with blue-black lettering for the school district and a stylized bird in flight. Do I alone see the irony in this? The train carries loads of scrap and slag, hopper car, hopper car, hopper car, 10 of these, 15. If a train leaves Pittsburgh at 5 a.m., traveling south, and it passes Morgantown at 7.05, X is how many miles per hour? Its whistle is a mile away, so we hear it already a second after it occurred. This is the problem of time, the problem of memory. And so X is the phone number I was given once and lost, and X is the number of light years across the known universe is, and X is the street address of the house across from ours with its furrowed awning and windows still dark. But if X is nothing more than the names of a girl in a class that a boy writes over and over again like an incantation in a marble notebook because he stutters when he feels it on his tongue, and he's failing math class for the first time ever. What can be done? So it must be love. The way the bound flies on the spider web must be hunger. And the Hubble photos of colored lights and gases must be the remnants of the universe's beginning. The echo of the echo of the Big Bang. Mist rising from the valleys and hollows in the mountain state and the eastern sky slurring magenta from stark gray. X is 708. X is the mark on my hand to see a band at a bar that year do a cover of London Calling. And X is the girl I spied there diving from the stage and how I dreamt her for months afterward, though I only saw her for a second. Her body seemingly lateless, seemingly weightless, hollow bone, so slight she was passed above the crowd. The bus rumbles past my house and is gone. The bus stop empty now, but for the first leaves of autumn, kicking the air. X is the air in motion, and X is stillness. Outside, I step through a long strand of spider web, nearly invisible, but for the way it glistens like a thin rail, or more precisely like the high E string of an electric guitar and stage light, little filament, little foundational cable. A whole world disturbed momentarily. From the telephone lines, birds take off. Moments later, other birds land. Um, I, I don't mind admitting to some sleepless nights with the production of this <laughs> book. Um, it's been a long time since I have personally been involved with making a hardback book. And this is a, what they call a pasted on board book. The specs are a little bit trickier. And I've never done one in this sort of relatively new publishing model that I've adopted since 2010. Um, and, and, and Jerry couldn't, uh, and the photographer couldn't get enough of the gray space around Jerry for it to bleed fully. So you've got this 
black border, which is okay. It actually, it's not as distracting as I thought. But um, it turned out pretty well, I don't mind saying. And um, uh, he did a great job. Thank and he you. put up with me for two years starting it. Yeah, that's 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 the greater greater accomplishment. Um, but um, now that these books are finding their way into the hands of the contributors, um, it's been absolutely humbling to. Um, to read their feedback and their reaction. First of all, they didn't know it was going to be hardback, so when they, and future ones may not be. <laughs> so what, but we definitely wanted the debut title in the Lo-Fi Poetry Series to be, um, to not only look like an album, but sort of you know, feel like a, an album as well. Um, but the contributors have been supportive all along, and I th think I'm, I just want to end our, our brief time together with reading the very end of my essay, um, which is as follows. Um, to quote one anonymous contributor, quote, sometimes you get into an anthology and you finally see the book and you think, meh, but man, this anthology is really good. It's such an eclectic range of work, scholarly, heartfelt, bombastic. I got excited reading it. Yes, we hope you do too. So thank you very much, Jerry, and I thank you very much. The book is for sale, 20 bucks even. Um, so, you can make the Pet Poet Sounds uh, volume possible by, by, by buying a copy of this one. But yeah, questions? Anybody has a question? Just a quick question about fair use. With fair use, you're able to just commenting on I think the, the riskiest thing we have is, is the number of, of uh, writers who use song lyrics, you know, interspersed in the songs, and I think that's a risk. Uh, fortunately, there's there's no money in poetry, so so uh, pretty much everybody sort of looks askance. Um, I, I had this experience when Clamor came out because I had a lot of song lyrics in the book that I was basically told no, 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 and I kept contacting people about rights and. And like the, the estate of Harry Chapin, they want a lot of money for a line of song. It's amazing. Uh, on, on, on the other note, though, uh, Jake Burns of Stiff Little Fingers said, send me a copy of the book and you can use whatever you want. So um, I'll, I'll, I'll take that. Um, I have to say this. I, I, I really was worried when we heard that Simonon and Mick Jones were going to actually have copies of the galley pages. There was this part of me that was like, oh, shit. Do not let this. But um, we took their silence as tacit support for the book. And if they want to raise a stink about it, we'll take their stink as public realm PR. Yeah, that's right. Leverage it to our advantage. Um, yeah, well, you can't copyright titles, so the, the titles of the segments, you know, are fine, um, and the titles of the poems are fine. Yeah. I think the use of any lyrics directly in the poems themselves fall into fair use. And this, I mean, gosh, you're, we're living in the age of affirmation and, and using stuff, um, you know, that's that's ripping off other stuff all the time. So from sampling in music to Andy Warhol's Campbell suit yeah. painting. So you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not. Yeah, and, and I think ultimately it's an homage. It is right. not. It is. It is meant to support the record and to sort of celebrate what everybody, I think, in the anthology says was was a record that was crucial to their that are coming of age in some way. And so I can't imagine somebody being like, this is going to hurt. Somebody's going to buy this thinking it's actually London calling. God. Um, so, yeah.
that that's going to make the production more difficult. <laughs> um, it actually, uh, it's something we've talked about, and, and it's something that um, you know we could. I, I just actually said, I don't even know if you saw this email. You've been you you've had your head, you know, in about eighty different places. Um, <laughs> I guess up your ass and other asses too. Uh, no, um, that the idea of doing a cyber release in which we could have. Um, you know, a, a sort of Facebook party, basically, in which different people post audio recordings of them reading their poem. They could post, you know, people at random could post a, a, a link to a YouTube version of the song or bands covering the song. I mean, songs. But I think that there's a way to do something that would be completely interactive um, and sort of celebrate this with all the writers because we won't be able to all get into one place. And there have been a lot of talk, by the way, of certain release parties of having bands come and play versions of London Calling. Um, uh, for the release party we're doing in New York next weekend, we don't have a band, but we're going to be playing throughout the, the afternoon. Uh, we're going to be playing London Calling on the sound system and stuff yeah, like that. Like the same deal at Atomic in June. Um, I have four remaining size large T-shirts, one of the lifetime T-shirts, unique collector item T-shirts. Uh, yeah, when I got when I got mine in the mail, I was kind of shocked. What? Because I would give you a gift. Yeah, well, yeah, that too. Uh, no, you would give me you would give me a gift of myself on a T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> it's like an Escher. Is that always one of those Escher Escher paintings? Yes. Next time, next time I do this, I'm going to I'm going to wear the shirt and do the pose, and then. It'll be very meta. So the first four hands I see out there gets a t-shirt. Everybody's like, he's on it? I don't want it. I The question is, can, can Greg reach the back if he pitches? I, I just don't know. I, you know, you need one of those T-shirt cannons that they have. Uh, the... Well, is this, is this like, like, like? Did you just only have two?